Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. Welcome back. You are listening to The Derek Izzy Show, bringing you another month of making history his story. Strap on your safety belts. We are going back in time for another monthly podcast. This is a rather short episode, so I will jump right into it. The topic of our podcast was born in 1930 in Brooklyn, New York. Now, she would experience some tragedy in life. The first one at the age of nine. She was born into a loving two-parent family home, a home that would catch on fire under suspicious circumstances while she was visiting another family member. The home being engulfed in flames would result in the death of her parents. After this tragedy, the topic of our podcast would be passed off to a foster family. It is with this adoptive family that she would experience more tragedy allegedly being sexually molested by the adoptive father. While that was never actually proven in court, it appears to be a tragedy that the topic of our podcast suffered through. But she managed to launch a successful education. In 1952, she graduated from Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. So I'll stop the show now to say hi to all my friends in Chambersburg. We have quite the following in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening, my friends in Chambersburg. So she graduated from Wilson College with a degree in English literature. She managed to make it to Harvard. She was attending a football game at Harvard, and she met a man named Martin. Martin was also from Brooklyn, New York. So the two of them hit it off. They had a lot in common. They both had interests in the written word. The topic of our podcast would work in publishing. She would end up marrying Martin. While she was working in publishing, Martin was the executive of the Fitchburg Paper Company. They seemed like a match made in heaven. The topic of our podcast would leave her job and become the homemaker. They had two children, Lillian and David. From all accounts, they seemed like a loving family. And it seemed like the topic of our podcast had put all her tragedies behind her. She was leading the happy life of a wife, devoted husband, and two children. They moved the family homestead over to Lincoln, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. The topic of our podcast was active in women's groups, and she had developed friends in the neighborhood. Their neighbors were nice, and her children had neighborhood kids to play with. 
It seemed like the perfect marriage. On the morning of October 24, 1961, Martin was called away on a business trip. He had an 8 a.m. flight to New York. Having to leave early, that left the topic of our podcast to wake the kids up after her husband left. She got Lillian and David out of bed, got them breakfast. She took David over to a neighbor's, and then it was off to take Lillian to the dentist. Running errands with Lillian, coming home from the dentist, everything seemed normal. She made the children lunch and then put David down for his afternoon nap. Lillian would go over to a neighbor's house to play with their children. What happened at that point is still unknown. What we do know is that Lillian would return home and something would happen. After returning home, suddenly Lillian ran back to the neighbor's house. She was frantic, screaming and crying. She said to the neighbor, I can't find my mommy and there's red paint all over the floor. The neighbor would investigate and call the police. For the red paint all over the floor was not red paint, it was blood. And the topic of our podcast was nowhere to be found. Police were called in to investigate, immediately shutting down the scene and beginning their forensics investigation. They started printing. They examined the blood. Now back then, they didn't really have DNA technology, but they did have blood type technology. They were able to determine that the blood type that was smeared all over the kitchen floor was type O. The topic of our podcast was type O. The kitchen was disturbed. The phone had been ripped off the wall. And there were several witnesses as police decided to canvas the neighborhood looking for any kind of clue they could find. They talked to several neighbors who said they thought they saw a woman standing in the driveway with what looked like a red object, maybe a piece of clothing or something. She looked confused. Several neighbors reported that they saw this woman walking down the road, kind of bewildered. Later on, there were other sightings of this mysterious woman walking along the road, down by the reservoir, possibly lost. The police took every lead seriously. They went and they searched the reservoir. They were unable to locate the missing housewife. At least one witness reported a car being in the family's driveway that was not their vehicle. One witness also reported seeing a man standing in the driveway. But there were no other witnesses to corroborate this sighting. It appears that our housewife had vanished into thin air. The husband, Martin, he was questioned by police. There is proof that he was away on a business trip, and when he returned, he was fully cooperative with the authorities. He had no idea what happened to his wife. The police had no idea what happened to his wife but they continued to investigate. They offered a reward. They ran this reward and they ran ads in the newspapers looking for clues or anything they could get from witnesses. Information came in, but nothing led to anything credible. Police followed up on every lead. After searching the reservoir, they searched the roads where the topic of our podcast was allegedly seen, but it was of no use. In an effort to welcome his wife home, Martin stayed in the house. He even kept the same phone number, just in case she ended up calling home. Always hopeful that his wife would return. In 2009, Martin would die, never having found out what happened to his wife. 
Do we know what happened? We do not. There are several theories that might make sense. Back in the 1960s, it was really frowned upon to get an abortion. Is it possible that the sighting of the man in the car was a doctor who had arrived to perform an abortion, and that's where the blood came from? Something went wrong during the abortion, and she ended up dying? The doctor, not wanting to get caught, fled the scene? Is that possible? Sure, it's possible, but there were no signs that our housewife was actually pregnant. Could it have been a scorned lover who murdered her? Well, there are really no signs that she ever cheated on her husband. Could she have had a mental breakdown? Yeah, that's definitely possible. She did deal with a lot of childhood trauma, and that could have led to a breakdown. But where would the blood come from? Could she have had an accident, been in shock, and just wandered out of the house and died somewhere along the side of the road? That's possible. Or maybe she wandered out of the house, got picked up by someone who then disposed of her body. That's possible as well. Something that was discovered later is the history of the books that she checked out from the library. The most recent books that she checked out had to deal with crime scenes, murders, and ways to disappear. One of the books, Into Thin Air, is exactly what she did. But if she really did disappear, why? She had a loving family, and even if she did want to get away, would she really leave all her friends and all her extended family behind? Her friends and family say no, she would never do that. But that's a possibility. To this day, the case remains unsolved, and we still do not know what happened to Joan Risch. Now in the year 2021, with all the advanced technology, we are still unable to figure out what happened to this woman back in 1961. And now you don't know the rest of the story. Thank you for listening to this tragic disappearance story. Thank you for listening to The Derek Gizzy Show. And I do have a question for you. If you're listening to the show while you're at work, are you on your computer playing solitaire? Yeah, I'm talking to you. You know what... You know what you're doing. You're supposed to be working. Stop playing solitaire on your computer. Your boss can't see you, but I can see you. You're playing solitaire. What you need to be doing is playing solitaire cubed. What's that? Look, you play solitaire all the time, right? You're on your computer, you're on your tablet, whatever. You're playing solitaire because you're bored. But you know what happens? You get good at it. Why not monetize those skills? Solitaire cubed allows you to do that. Sign up for solitaire cubed. Use promo code Derek Izzy, D-E-R-E-K-I-Z-Z-I, and they will give you 20 bucks when you make your first deposit. That's $20 for free just by listening to The Derek Izzy Show. Use promo code Derek Izzy. You can play for real money. And I'll give you an example. My first deposit, I made a, made a $20 deposit. I entered a $12 solitaire tournament. Cost me 12 bucks to enter. I cruised through it. I had a couple really, really close matches. I ended up winning, first prize, 80 bucks. I took that money, took 40 of it out, used that to take myself to dinner to celebrate, and then I used the rest to keep competing. Play for real money. Solitaire Cube, you can play tournaments, you can go one-on-one, -on -one, all kinds of different monetary values, and the more money you put up to enter, the more money you win. 
if you just want to do like the cheap games, you can go one-on-one, 60 cents to enter. Winner gets a dollar, and that's it. Win some money today. Solitaire Cubed. Promo code Derek Izzy. Thanks for listening to the Derek Izzy Show. Good day. Mm-hmm.